Podcast being recorded here live. in our new headquarters. In our new headquarters, also known as my basement, uh, sitting Dude, at the bar that I built, uh, drinking some smooth criminal by the brewery, and uh, we were kind of uh, just laying low after another successful Dark Lord day, um, which I spent with these two guys, our usual podcast crew, Chris and Aaron. Woohoo! Um, either you want to give a little recap about this year's Dark Lord Day? Why don't you, Aaron? That way uh, I don't think. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm uh, still hungover. There was there were many, 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 many beers consumed. I think we we're in the we we're we we're in the plus fifty range before noon, I believe. <laughs> I think it sounds about right. And uh, overall, it was a it was a great event. Uh, the opening bands were some of the most miserable music I've ever heard. In my entire life, uh, th- that being said, I've heard some bad shit. But um, I thought the event was uh, relatively well organized. Um, we all got our beer and our merch and uh, enjoyed the, the company of a lot of strangers with a lot of great beer that they were willing to share. So, uh, so overall, what went well and what went wrong this Dark Lord Day? Uh, actually, I thought everything that uh, has been a, a clusterfuck in past years uh, went extremely well. They separated the crowd into two large sections, uh, so there wasn't, you know, just like masses of humanity milling for no reason whatsoever. That was, um, had an unfortunate impact on the initial bottle share, although we had plenty of good beer. Um, yeah, so what they did this year was uh, Group A people were separated on the north end of the, the festival grounds before the gates opened, and then uh, their reigning groups were sequestered over on the south end, and we, although only one of us had A group tickets, we all kind of hung out in the north end just because that's where we unloaded the car and decided we weren't going to move again. Well, we also had kind of an awesome spot there. Too. Yeah, we did. And it worked out well. But typically what happens is everybody lines up super early in the morning um, and you know there are thousands of people in line and, and the bottle share is pretty extraordinary. And this year was still extraordinary. Um, just not as many people. And I actually kind of preferred it. I didn't feel like, uh, we were being in a crush of humanity like we are in some years. Um, although a lot of our group was over on the other end and we didn't really see them from, for much of the day. Um, but otherwise I thought the, 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 the pre-opening bottle share line was probably the best part as it always is. Uh, it was a little cold this year, although it wasn't rainy, which was nice. Uh, there were some long lines inside, uh, especially for the uh, dark or the uh, dark matter tent. I don't think they anticipated how many nerds were going to line up and try to get uh, glassware. Uh, so that line pretty much sucked all day. So every time we go to an event like this, there's always some things that I feel like I've I I totally forgot to even think about looking for or check out. I almost never get in the lines for beer being poured, you know, like buying a pour of whatever it is, you know, because you know it's going to filter to you. You know you're going to taste that year's Dark Lord and the in barrel variants and whatnot. But uh, I didn't see anything particularly special at any of the guest taps and didn't wait for any of that. But I also didn't go into the bottle line outside of the Dark Lord itself bottle line. So I, I missed out on the fact that they were selling 
2011, 2012, and 2013 Dark Lord there. Which would have been amusing, although I wouldn't have bought anything but barrel variants of that stuff. And um, there's mixed reports that some people are saying that, that it, they were selling barrels, barrel bottles for like 50 bucks. And some people are saying that they were not selling barrel bottles. Oh, I had not heard that they were selling yeah. barrel the uh, 2011 Dark Lord, which is the one, the only one I'd have probably wanted to buy, was forty dollars for a regular bottle. I would not pay forty dollars for, for anything but maybe 2010, 29, like 2000. I call it 29, but it's really 2009, <laughs> and uh, and perhaps 2008 Dark Lord. But anyways, overall the event was easy. Uh, the the music was pretty bad, with some noteworthy exceptions, and of course we left before the the stuff we wanted to see. Um, I did hear that after 5 o'clock, they, they uh, stopped letting people bring in sealed bottles, and if you had sealed bottles in the in the park, they would kick you out. Hmm. So, um, apart from Three Floyds bottles, obviously. So, and it was that was a police decision, apparently. So, anyways. I'm going to give a big shout-out to our uh, our friend Anne, who saved us a pour of Barrel Age 2009 Dark Lord, which was uh, probably my favorite beer of the day. Um, also, my favorite Dark Lord ever. So, I didn't... Uh, I had never had a barrel-aged variant of that year, so thank you very much, Anne, for that pour. That was awesome. So overall, it was a, it was a good time, I think. Uh, I would do it again. Next time, I would bring a tent. Even though you're not supposed to bring a tent, I would bring a damn tent <laughs> so you could take a damn nap and you could seal your beer up in there with you while you're taking a nap so you don't have to worry about people ripping you off. Um, was that a problem this year? Did anybody lose it? We lost uh, a couple of people from our group lost, like, IPAs. And Two bottles of Session IPA. Shit that you would have yeah, given really. away. It's like, if you just want it that bad, just ask. Just ask. Have it. But, uh, but yeah, so nobody lost anything valuable, so that's fine. Uh, most of the people around us were extraordinarily nice. There was very little vomit. Um, <laughs> Although so. Chris did step in it while we were waiting in the line for Dark Lord. Uh, it wouldn't be a Dark Lord if you didn't step in vomit at some point. <laughs> yeah, Your does. own or somebody else's. I did so. notice that as well. So anyway, uh, we are... Uh, reconverging here for another uh, podcast. We recorded one a few weeks ago that we had some technical difficulties. We may post it at some point. Right now it's sealed on uh, Chris's equipment, and uh, if we get it off of there, we'll, we'll upload it. It wasn't a particularly great episode, so you're not It was a gold. fantastic episode. You guys are missing gold. Yeah, I agree with Aaron. It was, <laughs> it was one, of, one of our best. <laughs> They're all Complete the best. victory by us. Matt was beaten down handily. I don't even recall what song we reviewed or talked about. Although I do kind of think I liked it. Yeah, you did. See, so thus, thus losing his point. Because... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Well, that won't happen today. So today uh, we have a, a beautiful song that um, has very few lyrics that uh, Matt can now read for you. All right, here we go. Reading off of the iPhone here. There's Hi, Santa. My dog whining and my cat just joined us. There's an angel standing in the sun. There's an angel standing in the sun waiting to get back home. And those That's are the it. entirety of the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> so already we can tell Matt's going to love this song. So we're going to listen to the song, and uh, then we'll rejoin you in a second. All right, we'll put this on pause. Go right ahead. Please describe what the hell that god-awful shit was. 
<laughs> that was the song Los Endos by the band Genesis. Um, oh. One of my absolute favorite songs from my absolute favorite Genesis album. Yeah, uh, Trick of the Tail. Uh, also one of Chris's favorites. Well, I, I love the band. Yeah. song is good. Trick of the Tail is not Genesis. your favorite no, no, it, it's a great album. It's not my favorite. My favorite Genesis album would probably be Selling Sell England by the Pound or oh. Lamb Lies Down. But I have a problem with Genesis in that, and I've, I've thought about using them for uh, for this podcast purposes on a number of occasions, but it's really difficult to pick a song, not because they're so awesome or so bad, but because it's kind of like you have to take pick an album and put yeah. the whole album on. And that's, that's like, very that, true. And that's almost a dead concept these days. You can't like make somebody listen to a whole album. We could probably make Matt listen to an album, but we would go through a lot of beer. Yes, no, <laughs> a lot of the, um, the the impetus for choosing Los Endos, uh, as opposed to Squonk, which is its its main, um, you know, Squonk has much more, many, many, many more lyrics, and uh, the the main riff that um, the uh, the freeform jazz odyssey collides into is the Squonk riff. Um, I chose Los Endos because I feel like it is the perfect prog song. Um, there, there's many of those around and different, uh, you know, iterations and we, we will get into more of them and we have gotten into a few of them, but, um, I feel for this era, that uh, listening to this song in particular, the, the themes, the textures and the way that this song is written and evolved, um, it recaps the entire album, thus as Los Endos, it's the last track on the album. Um, you get a little bit of everything that you'd been listening to up to that point, and uh, when you listen to it in a, a truly loud environment, or uh, if you were to see it perform live, this song makes you feel weird. <laughs> like it, it actually like uh, the, the the musical tension that builds and releases in uh, through all the different you know um, you know sound choices in the synth. Uh, to the the absolutely overwhelming power of the bass when it finally kicks in and stuff like that, it actually you know it catches your breath in your chest a little bit and makes you hurt, uh, which <laughs> I was uh, I was a big fan of. You the got first that part right. I, well, the the first time I heard it, it, it absolutely blew my mind. I was like, this is fucking great. Like this isn't you know, uh, this was was way evolved from where Rush was at the same time period. Um, you know where it's like th- this is. You know how do how do you wrap your head around this? Like I was telling Matt when we were listening, to it, it's like this is like being inside someone's acid trip, and like trying to find your way back out of the rabbit hole. And um, but uh, the the instrumental, you know, nature of the music, the players individually, like taste that they bring to it. I just I think this is like the perfect song. So I'll turn it over to Matt and let him hate all over this. <laughs> well, you mentioned you thought this was the perfect prog song, and I agree with you a hundred percent because this. Is, <laughs> Manifestation of all that is god awful. I just prog. don't think you can say that. I mean, <laughs> I, not not because I think you need to defend this song, or it's not fair that you say that, but because like not so much prog sounds this way, and most of the things that you have um, proven to hate in prog music are not present in this song. <laughs> so you hate so much more than just this song. This is true. Your <laughs> hatred is, is, is the, the boundaries of your hatred have not yet fully been. I am like the Emperor from uh, Star Wars. Uh, speaking of, of Star Wars, this song reminded me of the scene from the first Star Trek movie where there's just like 35 minutes of them just floating through like multicolored nebulas <laughs> in space and these weird sounds. Are just, and it's just 
the most boring half an hour in cinematography. So I feel like Matt might have to, like, he might have to study drums to appreciate this song more. I find it interesting that Aaron shows this tune because it's one of the busier moments on this album. And, uh, and it wouldn't have been the tune I would have chosen off the album, but um, just for the sake of, like, musicianship, it's, it's, it's all there. Yeah, I don't deny the musicianship. I, it, there's a lot of uh, uh, pretty busy bass on, in the beginning of the song, which is interesting. And uh, yeah, I definitely noticed the drum. Uh, the drums were pretty uh, sophisticated. Frantic. That's the best word you can <laughs> so use. So try to figure out what about this is is so evil, so <laughs> so bafflingly wrong in your spectrum. Well, I mean, it's just it's not shiny. It's, it's not, not. It's, it's not, not shiny. Super tightly produced in that sense. It's, it's not shiny. It, it to me, it just really seems like what Ooh. somebody would. It's kind of like what Eric was saying, like in the '60s, like how it, trying to represent what an acid trip would would sound like, and it's just a lot of people who are really good at their instruments playing a lot of garbage layered on top of each other. Um, I really find no song here. There's no. This is definitely not a song. There's not. It's a composition. There's not a song. And I mean, I don't. To me, a song has has lyrics and a story. Other than this being performed by instruments and producing sound, I wouldn't really consider this music. <laughs> wow. I don't even know what's wrong with you. Right? I really have like because of so many of the things that you do consider music. That's, I find that's this the to be biggest baffling. indictment I've ever heard. Like, fuck you, Genesis. This is good music. <laughs> um, no, my uh, one of the the nice uh, the the nice little give out there is the uh, the nod to Dear Prudence, which obviously is you know when the uh, the sun is rising um, in this song and the the concept like the Mellotron coming in really heavy over the top of that with, like, the horn patch. Obviously, like, the slider on that was pulled way out to get that bright bell tone. Um, you know, just, like, uh, throwing back, obviously, to something that's one of their influences that was pretty progressive in its day. Like, Dear Prudence was kind of progressive for a pop song. Like, they, like the, the Beatles had started to push into more, you know, unexplored territory for a massively successful pop act like when you're writing the white album sergeant pepper and shit like that it's like this is this is not your average song that you're going to hear on the radio but because it's the beatles and because this was the era before twitter and before you know like you could leak something on the internet and people could like give you feedback on it before your album was finished like they they wrote shit and it was like okay you're gonna like this because it's the beatles you have to like if you like the beatles you have to like this album or you're not going to want to see this tour and uh Meanwhile, if any other band put that same album out, people would have been. Like, this people would have thrown it in the garbage. Shit. Like well, this is the most horrible thing ever. But that that was the that was the beauty of music back then is like the fact that the Beatles could make an album like that freeze Genesis up to do things like this, or freeze Pink Floyd, or Yes, or Gentle Giant, or King Crimson to like, oh, we can bring shit like this too, you know. And they brought it to the forefront. I think you know the the Beatles breaking that ground gave these guys license to be like, this is music and this is what we do. And then they gave them a little nod in the end of that song, which I thought was great. You well, know, so it's like, so think, thanks for doing this and we can now make music that is meaningful to us. I think you've got an issue here with your song choice and with your band choice um, in general. Um, so I would imagine that of the seven people listening, um, one, of them, <laughs> one of them is our age or older. 
So um, being that that's the case, most people our age, period, think of Genesis and they think of Phil Collins and they think of what's the difference between Genesis and Phil Collins albums. They were the same shit that I was listening to on accident on the radio when I was zero, you know. So, I mean, like, a lot of people think of Genesis as, as this 80s pop, you know, phenomenon that sold a bajillion albums. I think and, uh, Well, but I mean, and, and I even like that music, but I like 80s pop music, so it doesn't really bother me. But the issue here is that Genesis at one point um, in, the, in the, the Phil Collins is our drummer, not our singer era, um, was largely a, a legitimate progressive band in the sense of they were composing things with a message and trying to create a sound and an atmosphere, and they were somewhat psychedelic of a band. Um, but there's one thing that I find to always be the case with that kind of music, including bands like Yes and, to an extent, Early Rush, certainly Any Gentle Giant, certainly King Crimson, is that you are not digesting that shit on the first listen. It's just not going to happen. You think you will. You think like I'm I'm enlightened and I'm going to understand what I'm hearing, but you're you're bullshitting it. It's like you know, it's like the people who buy Giant Steps, the John Coltrane album, because it's one of they, they saw it in the same list that included Kind of Blue, and they bought Kind of Blue from Miles Davis, and they understand that album and they think it's you know jazz is great. I get jazz. I'm a jazz fan. They buy Giant Steps. And they, they insist, oh, I like Giant Steps. It's really good because it's famous. And, and most people are not prepared to deal with, with that kind of music. Same is, is true about early psychedelic progressive music and, and, and that it requires time and patience and, and listen, you know, multiple listens. And you have to listen to it from the idea of trying to pick up on atmosphere. That's just not what a lot of people do. A lot of people listen to singles and listen to this, you know. This, this song is absolutely not for the faint of heart. Like, well, this is for... this song is 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 a chunk of an album that I think if if digested as an album, you you get a different sense of what it means. I concur, but I also like the fact that, um, like my my personal connection to this song, the reason I wanted this one, is um, one of my older students like one of my older drum students, um, he had wanted to play this song specifically. And uh, I asked him, I was like, well, what made you want to choose Los Endos out of the rest of the album? Like, why, why wouldn't you want to just play the entire album? And he couldn't, like, the, the, the way he expressed it to me was just that, you know, he appreciated the vibe of what Los Endos was trying to go for. And so, like, when I started listening to this, I was like, you know, the, the frantic drumming at the beginning and then, like, the straight-up hard-rocking foregroove at the end when the bass part finally kicks in, they, they lay down into that, you know, the, the funkiness of Squonk. Um, you know, it, it's just like that that was what encapsulated to me the prog element. It's like, okay, we can be virtuoso mus- musicians and we can play a gajillion notes and have it arranged in a way that's, difficult to listen to and extremely hard to digest but then it all boils down and it comes down to the base essentials which is that driving four riff at the end that comes back around with the crazy synth solo over the top of it and make it accessible to anybody so and that's why i was like oh man like genesis in that in that one song in this one six like i think it's not even six minutes it's like four and a half minutes so like by prog standards an extremely short song but manages to get everything that's great about that style of music and then, you know, everything that's great about music in general into one section of, of thing. And I was like, man, 
Fucking well done, Genesis. Yeah, I don't, that's, I don't, that's I don't hear it as that either. Me. I'm sure Matt doesn't hear it as that. And yeah. I don't hear it as that, and I like this music. But, uh, you know, the way I look at it is is kind of like this. hearing this song without the album is kind of like listening to the middle of Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Iron Maiden True. without yeah. ever having, you know, the the uh, Steve Harris bass part come in and, and uh, Bruce Dickinson <laughs> kind of rescue us from, you know, the, the plight. The radio edit <laughs> Exactly. Of it's like we, we just listened to all the parts they cut out of, of the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner for the radio edit version. But oh. it's 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 important, you know, it's important music to me. But I don't like take I don't like taking fragments of something that's such a uh, you know complete composition. Yeah, it's it's almost it's almost weird to me to do that. It makes sense to me. We You're can't... only seeing the forehead of the Mona Lisa? Yeah, it's, it's so you don't have a full <laughs> picture. And I would, I would almost say like, we have to do a, a podcast where we, uh, where we make Matt listen to, um, like Lamb Lies. That's too long. It's a double album. We should do Selling England by the Pound. Uh, make him listen to that from beginning to end, four times over a weekend. <laughs> the whole album. I love it. Like it's over the course idea. of a weekend. Like that's the only thing you're allowed to have in your car. You, you gotta digest. Yeah, you have to allowed, digest it. You can fall asleep listening to it on your hammock. That's okay. But I mean, you have to listen to it four full times, and then you can decide if you if it, what's wrong with it. Dude, he might to... he might wake up a prog fan. It could be terrible. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I think I value my free time too much. To <laughs> <subject myself> to... <laughs> like this idea is preposterous. So no, like so now, like I actually want like I want you to crucify this song, Matt. Like explain to me everything that's wrong about this as a piece of music. <laughs> um. To my sensibilities, everything's wrong with this song. There's nothing, <clears throat> to me, there's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing that, there's not one element of the song that I enjoy. I Again, would, proof that you need to listen to the whole al- this whole album because you would be hearing restated themes from earlier in the album. You'd be like, oh, that, oh, that thing. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Like- that, I mean, that may well be, but I'm just hearing this song in isolation. I'm not, I'm not hearing any of that. Um, the... The Mellotron sounds are obviously outdated. And, oh, I love Mellotron. I, I don't mind Mellotron, but I mean, this is this is going for such a specific sound. It's just, it's well, it's just, going for the high tech sound of its era, right? Exactly, <laughs> and but like to an extreme sense. Like again, like like it, it seems like you know it's a movie from like the 1970s where like the, the, the you know Atari 2600 was the pinnacle of technology, and they decided. Let's use this as much as possible in our movie because this is what's popular at the time, and it just instantly dates the movie, and it it just it doesn't hold up. And fuck you, man! Labyrinth is an awesome movie. This this, this song has no structure. There's no I don't know. It's just I found nothing redeeming about it whatsoever. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, clearly you did not convince me of anything on this song. I'm gonna consider that a solid win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because if Matt hates it, that means it's great prog. Yeah, that's oh, that's not the objective of this podcast. Yeah, I don't feel like it, it it suffers from any of the normal problems of prog music uh, for for like an objective listener. I feel. Like I think just... it does. I think it. I think it hits all of the no stereotypes. It can't, it can't because there's nothing like. Um, <laughs> the there was it, no like incredible, impossible solos and like, you know, 
you know, it, 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 none of the, uh, none of like the. There wasn't, yeah, there wasn't an overt masturbatory element. There was no uh, roller coaster anywhere. The, the time signatures weren't changing constantly. There was no Getty Lee voice on the. Yeah, Getty Lee was totally not present. <laughs> what is your opinion of, of uh, what you did not hear, uh, Peter Gabriel? What is, do you, are you a Peter Gabriel hater or? No, I, I don't mind. I'm not a Peter Gabriel fan, but I don't dislike Interesting. Peter okay. Gabriel. Um, how are we friends? <laughs> I ask myself that all the time. Well, all right. Well, I would say that Matt did not like this song. But I did not like this song. <laughs> no, he didn't. But it's okay because you know I I I decided to not you know water it down for him. I'm like I'm gonna give you a piece of real fucking prog music and make you listen to it. I think, I, uh, I just force fed you a swordfish steak. I think next week we're gonna. Opt, he loves swordfish. I love swordfish. I, know, I think next week love we this. opt for uh, a change of seasons. I'm totally down. I will extol the virtues of that song until the day I die. So. He will die. Matt will die. Matt will die during the like. He'll quit halfway through listening to that song. I guarantee All right. Well, next out. week, next week we will have a, a little bit more of a concise uh, <laughs> song selection and uh, and uh, and some options that Matt will have more visceral hatred for. Probably no matter what we choose. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for tuning in. We're still accepting beer submissions and uh, beer sponsorships. We have neither of those. That being said, uh, at Dark Lord Day, some of the finest things I tasted, uh, one of the things I hadn't tasted, I hadn't had any Almanac beers prior to Dark Lord Day. The uh, the two that I tasted at Dark Lord Day were absolutely fantastic. So Almanac Brewing Company in San Francisco, well done. You are, are uh, keeping the faith and doing things. We also way. we also discovered that Stone Brewery still knows how to make good beer. With My really biggest try. surprise <laughs> of the whole thing was Stone can make barrel aged stouts still because yes. they haven't done it properly in at least four years now. That might have been the most exciting development. Of that was I, I was very excited and uh, will after this podcast concludes show Matt the complete list of things we are now going to track down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Good. Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll catch you next time.